0: Hello, it's Jack Chuta here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Oh Kyung Lee, cellist, composer, improviser, and in the past few years, band leader as well. She now leads the Yonun Quartet, and their first record came out just recently on Shelter Press called Yonun. And it's a wonderful record. It's beautifully recorded to capture the interaction between these four instruments. Piano, cello, bass, and harp. It's a really lovely cluster of instruments to have in conversation with each other and they all justify their space within the music so beautifully. There are moments of improvisation and then often they're reined in and switch very suddenly to some incredibly refined impeccably balanced moments of composition that sound like objects placed on fine points so that they balance and sway side to side. I've been having a great time with it. And I also had a great time chatting to Okyung as well. This conversation took us to some really interesting places and some wonderful anecdotes. It was a really cool crop of records as well, none of which I'd heard before. So if you want to check out Okyoung's music, be sure to go to shelter-press.org where Yonung is available to pick up, also at the Shelter Press Bandcamp at shelterpress.bandcamp.com. and head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk/forward/slash/crucial-listening, where I will have all the links to Okyoung's oh music, socials, and more information on her picks as well. Cool. I think that's it. Okyoung oh Lee on Crucial Listening. and welcome to Crucial Listening.
1: Hi, Jack. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. Now, you've brought three important albums to the table. Um, before we get to talking about your important picks, I would like to ask you about your new record, Yonan, uh, which mm-hmm. I believe is the first album you've recorded with the Yonan Quartet, is that correct?
1: Yeah. Um, we were formed later in 2016, and we did a handful of concerts in New York, but this was the first time we went to studio and recorded these pieces.
0: And can you take me through who's in this quartet? And in fact, when you mention each person, could you give me a little bit about what they bring to this quartet or why you like working with them?
1: Sure. Um, so first, Maeve Gilchrist. She's a harpist, originally from Scotland. But she's been living in the States for many years. And I met her when we played in a friend of mine's concert, A Piece. Uh, in 2015 I think and I just liked her energy I mean of course she was an amazing harpist Mm. but her energy was really impressive so I think it was following year I had a week residency at the stone that you can program any kind of projects you want so it's a good uh, opportunity to try out things so I thought about inviting her and then I decided to add um, more of a traditional rhythm section minus drums And I knew Ivan Opsvik, who plays the bass in the band, because he invited me to play on one of his compilation records that he runs a label called the Royal Label. And again, I really liked his energy and he was really positive. And I knew that he was a really solid bassist. Mm. Then Jacob Sachs, who plays the piano, he was also somebody that I never played with before. But I'm, I had met him many times, and again, his energy was so open. And of course, he was recommended by lots of different pianists I knew. So I thought, why not try a quartet with these four people? And I think I only had a few tunes, more like a sketches, for the first concert. And then I guess I decided to develop the music a little bit. And then we didn't do that many concerts, but I think we did two, two, three concerts a year since then.
0: Nice. And how's your dynamic between you as a quartet changed over that time since 2016 up and through until now?
1: Well, I mean, I think the first time was, of course, like any new meeting because most of the times when I write music, I know the people right. before. And this was the first time actually I had a certain instrumentation in my mind and then invited people. So it, I guess at first it was like just trying things out and not really asking people to do, but trying to understand what they were like musically, you mm. know, musical personalities. Yeah. And so it was kind of nice way of, to get to know each other a little bit. And I guess over the time, these pieces also took some time to develop. I've, and it got clearer what I was after in terms of sound as a group and then also within the compositions. So in a way, I also feel like we gain trust for each other which gave me enough room to ask for things sure you know and then also i think that's a really um important role for the leader to have because i think when i was younger when i was also putting up lots of projects inviting people to play my music i wasn't necessarily confident i guess Mm. even though i had certain things in my in my mind but i didn't know how to communicate or there was never really enough time to develop because most of times musicians are really busy. And it's really, yeah, I mean, also, you know, it's like lots of local gigs. You cannot really expect people to really invest so much of their time. Mm. But with this group, just we, you know, play around locally for a couple of years, gave me enough room to work on the music and then also check out different things. So eventually, I, I guess I took, the responsibility of the of being the leader, which is the first time, actually, in 20 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, this is my first group ever. <laughs> wow. How did it feel? Okay, I guess. I mean, it's but it's only because, possibly, because I know that they, you know, they trust me. Mm. You know, they know that I'm not just asking them to do something for the sake of doing something, but because it has some kind of musical reason for that. And also, I am not interested in having them play outside their comfort zone. Zone. I mean, of course, I'd like to create a space for them to do something that's maybe new and exciting. But also at the same time, I don't want them to feel like, you know, play something that's not who they are. Yes. Because also, if you know, if somebody imposes that on me, then I would feel very uncomfortable. So I really want to avoid that kind of situation. So being able to figure that out is, um, in a way, that's really fun. I guess I don't know if fun is the right word, but you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's it's kind of nice. It makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot think of the better words. Yeah.
0: You mentioned that the intention you had for this record or the, the sound you were striving for kind of appeared to you as you were in the process of putting these pieces together. Was there anything that you can articulate about that? What was it that you found that you were aiming for as you started to write these pieces and get an idea of where they were heading
1: well i guess actually i was trying to write this down this morning but there's this piece called one lazy sunday afternoon i think yeah it's a really long title (laughs) (laughs) and i know exactly um the kind of feeling i wanted to create because it might sound strange but it is kind of way to recreate this one cut of a cartoon that I read when I was a teenager. Mm. And it describes lazy Sunday afternoon <laughs> filled with lots of sunshine and warmth. And I think the people in the cartoon, they're kind of basically doing nothing and enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> and I, I vaguely remember. I mean, I don't rem- remember which cartoon it was, but I remember the feeling of it because... I think it was like two page cut and it was basically very empty with a few words and very minimal descrip like drawing of sun sunshine I think. Hmm. But I somehow felt the warmth of the sunlight when I was looking at the picture.
0: That's so- <laughs> really interesting. That was very idle for a cartoon, <laughs> right? I mean usually <laughs> I don't know, I've not heard of a cartoon that's doing that little.
1: Yeah, but I think there must be some kind of emotional build-up going to that direction, and it was some kind of resolve. So it had more emotional weight to it. But I Mm -hmm. just remember having that feeling while I was just looking at such a minimal drawing. Yeah. So I guess that's the kind of thing I wanted to portray in these tunes. And I remember when I was um, rehearsing this tune with the band, I said, think of this really lazy... Idle, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, it doesn't matter. <laughs> 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 and then also there's some kind of, I don't know, also there's a little bit of baseball game happening.
0: Yeah, as in like in your mind or in the cartoon or?
1: In the mind, because like somehow also lazy Saturday weekend, it's also... It can be also like watching a game on a TV when I was a kid. Nothing really happens. And I don't know. It's just some kind of weird mixture of laziness. But also, in a sense, no guilt.
2: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what it was. And and the last piece, Then There.
2: Uh-huh.
1: That's reinfluenced influenced by um, tons of hymns I was singing as a kid. Because... Even though um, my mom is a Buddhist, she sent me, um, sent me to um, a cla- um, Catholic elementary school and the missionary school for my middle school and high school. So I ended up singing lots of hymns as a kid. Right. So I've, I think that piece is really about that memory, because in a way, even though I knew that they were religious songs, and even though I didn't believe in God but I really liked the feeling of singing those songs. Mm. So I wanted to create something that's, you know, kind of simple, that also all the um, voices move together, um, and some kind of harmony, I guess, you know. I think that's how I kind of had what I had in mind, even vaguely when I started, and then eventually it became clearer when I went to the studio and then started to shape these songs
0: childhood and family seems to come up a couple of times there um -hmm. i hope it's not too personal to us but is there a a particular reason why a lot of the themes on this record seem to gather around that
1: well i think probably one of the reasons is that i did move around quite a bit but then one of the first big moves was when i was 12 i had to i didn't have to but i decided to go to art, music and music and art music school in Seoul, hmm. which was about two hours away from my hometown. Um, so basically, means I moved out of my house then already. So in a way, um, I had spent lots of time on my own, and I think lots of my teenage teenager period, meaning middle school and high school, I spent lots of time. By myself, because Mm. also at schools I was not really um, necessarily um, popular. Or, I mean, I had my own hobbies, but I didn't really gather with lots of friends. I was more like a loner or outsider, but by choice, Mm -hmm. in a way. So maybe that's why that kind of has some kind of big that takes some kind of big part in my musical identity. And you know, I mean it's kind of family, It's kind of weird thing because, you know, I did spend lots of time away from them. But now being back in Korea for a couple of months, you know, it doesn't matter how long or when I come back, it just feels natural, you know. It feels comfortable right away. Yeah. So that's and it's something very important, I guess for anybody though.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um and you, you talked about the fact that these pieces started to come into shape as well as you went into the studio. Um, what are your memories of recording this record? How was that experience?
1: Well, I think I definitely had the luxury of being able to spend enough time in a studio um, uh-huh. because before when I recorded my pieces, I mean, even though I was very lucky to have two studio albums that's out on Zadig Records, but I didn't really have that much resources to pay the musicians properly Mm -hmm. and have enough time in the studio to properly record and mix. But this time I decided to kind of really invest in it Mm. because I could, because I had been lucky and got some grant. So I felt like I really wanted to um, put enough time and treat the musicians properly. So, we actually record them on two separate sessions, and still it's not it's not like I paid them tons of money, but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did, I didn't even in- ask them to play for free. <laughs> 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 I mean, which is a kind of dilemma because i I feel like i mean I don't want to sidetrack too much, but I think musicians we are so used to doing things um not for free, but also lots of times kind of not necessarily as a favor, but because we want to record and play lots of times, we kind of forget that these hours are also labor.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I if I could, I give them enough to justify them coming in and putting in hours. Yeah. I mean, I think they would have done it, even, with, even if I didn't, but you know what I mean? But I just wanted to do it right. And the same thing with... Um, Recording and also I spend lots of hours mixing, and also yeah, trying to shape them. And some of them also, you you might not hear it so clearly, but I think the last piece on the first track, on um, first side, side A, is called um, "Eternally," track number five. Hmm. It has certain element of producing. <laughs> <laughs> Because I wanted, because, you know, lots of times I'm not technically really um, equipped to even describe what I wanted. But Jeff, who recorded, he kind of knew what I wanted. So I said, I want this piece to sound like almost like a whiteout. You know, when you go to a performance, sometimes a movie, Mm -hmm. it ends with... um, Christian, it sounds weird, fade in to white, other than fade out to black.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so in a way, I wanted to create that feeling with this track by bringing the cello sound closer to you, because it, the same thing repeats three times. So I wanted, the, uh, I wanted to create the illusion of cello sound kind of stepping closer to you by the end of it, throughout the piece. Oh, so cool. but i wanted to yeah so i wanted to create this kind of actual distance even by placing them mixing them in a way so that's the kind of thing i you know i really could try out because i had enough time and also i had enough time not only in the studio but also between the recording sessions and you know also had jeff who could actually translate what i wanted technically
0: And uh, one other question I wanted to ask on the new record is about the artwork, which I keep coming Mm -hmm. back to time and time again. I think it's a really uh, lovely image, given how simple it is. It's from Mm -hmm. Ron Jude's Other Nature series. Yes. yes. Is that right? Um, Yes. How did you discover this artwork and what was it about the image that you thought made it apt for this record?
1: Well, I have to give credit, full credit to uh, Bartolome and Felicia at Shelter Press because they have a very specific uh, approach to their artwork. Mm. So, you know, I knew that they wanted to have a, um image, and we said, okay, let's try to have some kind of either nature image or, yeah, more like a nature image or some um, not abstract images and we it was mostly um Bartolome kept drawing me some ideas and i think i had to i said no to actually quite a few images that he suggested from other photographers and when he sent suggested him i just went to um, his website and i think this was a second image on the specific page and it just Came to me, I felt like this is the right image. And um, I love the color of it. Mm. And as somebody pointed out, it is a closed window, but I like the fact that it means it's closed. But because the um, title of the album means that you're opening it. Yeah. So as a listener, you could open it.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really grateful that somehow this image felt really perfect um, in terms of stillness and also the color, because I think the image doesn't really give away what time of day it is, in a way.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, so so I I really like that. And then also, I mean, I haven't gotten the actual LP yet, but I also know that there is the inner sleeve, there is different nature image, and that's also something, you know, we chose together. And again, I just have to give full credit to Shelter Press for bringing us together and um, yeah, really thank Ron for allowing me to have used the image.
0: Yeah, it's one of those album artworks, that I think once I see it, then it imbues itself into the listening experience because they feel so Mm -hmm. elegantly harmonized. Whereas, you know, I've had those experiences where you get a piece of album artwork, which you look at after listening and you're like, oh no, wait, that doesn't feel right at all. Right, yeah. Um, But these feel so nicely aligned.
1: Yeah, so, I, I mean, I was really, you know, I felt bad that I said no to so many images before, <laughs> but I, you know, there was a reason, because there was this perfect image waiting yeah. for me.
0: So, if people want to check out that record, Okyung, where's the best place for them to go to do that?
1: I guess Shelter Press has um, Bandcamp page? Yes,
0: yes, they do, I yeah. think
1: that's the that's the one that they've been using Um Yeah. I mean, I think also BoomCat is one of the main distributors that they use. So I guess that's the way.
0: Wicked. Great. Um, I should say as well, there is another Bandcamp fee waiver day coming up in like a couple of weeks, three weeks or something. So uh, I implore people to buy this record. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Thank you. Please do do that. So we should
1: talk about your important
0: records. So firstly, the question I like to ask is, how you thought Mm -hmm. about that term important we discussed this a little bit before we started recording but what was the way Mm -hmm. in which you interpreted that term important in order to come up with the list of records that you did
1: right so i chose these three records because in a way they kind of marked um important moment shift in my life and that was that all related to um music in general i guess not just only as you know me as a person but also kind of increasing awareness of me being a musician Hmm. or some sometimes will remind me of what it is to be a musician or i don't know i mean we can talk about three separate ones and then explain more in details but yeah i think i think those these three are definitely important in terms of Really, really, like, marking those moments that I kind of realized something that I didn't know. So, and then, again, I mean, these three re- records, I think they were really great, but ne- not necessarily because I think these three records are masterpieces, but because they mean something personal to me. And, I, I mean, really, I sometimes I feel a little, um, I feel a little lame about it. But I really <laughs> cannot do anything Anything that's not personal but when I come up with list or even, you know, favorite things to choose from it is solely based on my personal <laughs> taste and personal experience, not because of their... Um, just pure quality as a music i mean again i'm not dissing the street records but you know what i
0: mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know exactly what you mean uh well let's get stuck in uh i'll let you pick whichever record you want to talk about first if you give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well
1: yeah so I, i guess they i also chose them uh in chronological order and the first one is this korean pop album that came out in 90s Eighties? No. What year was this?
0: Eighteen? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was eighty-nine. Let me just double check. I seem to remember it was eighty-nine when I checked it out. Yeah, eighty-nine. It was eighty-nine. Got it.
1: Eighty-nine. Great.
0: <laughs> we got there.
1: <laughs> How important this is. Um, again okay, I'm. I'm not really good at memorizing anything other than. Uh, what am I good at memorizing? <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, this is um, solo debut album by this Korean artist Kim Hyun Chul clearly Kim is his family name but in Korea, uh, family name comes first. Anyway so as I said, I left home when I was 12 so I was living by myself Um, I was was sharing an apartment with other students and I think around then, having a Walkman was a big deal (laughs) and I remember I was buying lots of tapes and I was listening to lots of pop music and also Korean pop music but when this one came out, it was striking because Kim Hyun Chul was 21 years old when he released his solo album, right. debut album. And he said he wrote the music and wrote the lyrics and he produced it. And I didn't really know that was possible right. in a way, that one person could be possible. And also, I think he played lots of instruments in the record. Which seemed incredible when I was a kid, because I was mostly, you know, cello student, mm. um, learning Western classical repertoire. And so having somebody, you know, to create a full album by you know, songs that were written completely by him just was mind-blowing. On top of that, the music was very refreshing back then because it, I think he used lots of jazz harmonies back then. Mm. I think he was kind of interested in that kind of music, and also he's selective. But you know, he's he was never really a so-called good singer. Yeah, meaning he wasn't really virtuosic in a way. He, his voice was really raw, and there are lots of flaws. It was not perfect, mm. but also still these songs were able to make me really. Feel something, so to me that was kind of revolutionary. That you know you could do that. One person can actually do that. So I, I to me, that was kind of shocking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you mentioned you you're buying a lot of tapes at this time. How how yeah. did this tape come into your life in particular? Do you remember what drew you to it or why you bought it?
1: Oh yeah, because I was also listening to lots of radios at night. Ah, okay. as a kid. Yeah, so I think there were like maybe two programs that I was listening to almost on daily basis. And I think that's how I learned lots of music, Korean pop songs and also, you know, some so-called jazz. I mean, I really got a lot by listening to the radio programs when I was a teenager. And in a way, it was a kind of escape route because my um, study as a cello student was quite restrict and i had uh, i didn't have a great relationship with my cello teacher Mm. which really didn't uh, work with me and i really didn't want to play the cello anymore even and um, so it was kind of nice way to escape from the reality by listening to pop songs and also you know like because i was doing classical music there was some kind of a social um, status thing about Classical music being so, like, you know, high art, for example. Yeah. So, you know, listening to these kind of songs, and that was kind of also a way of a, reveling against what I was studying, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it all sounds really naive and all that, but, you know, but I just know that it was kind of nice uh, realization, really. And I mean, but not that I wanted to do that, you know, not that I was thinking about, oh, one day I want to make music, but. Just to understand that you know this is how an album is made, you know, because that's not something that you learn as a you know cello um, student.
0: Absolutely, I I remember the first yeah. time I heard about someone doing a record by themselves, and I was like, I, I I couldn't even comprehend that as a notion. It was like, don't you need those magicians, like magicians to 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 make the record happen? Like they they play it, and some other people make it appear on a release somehow. Like how does that even work?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then also in terms of you know the you know what kind of instruments and because back then I didn't even realize that you could actually play what n- what was not on the page.
0: Right. You know. <laughs> right. So wow. I felt
1: like does that mean every single note that they were they played on this record was notated? Wow. I mean it's really simple. It's really naive, but you know when you're coming from strict classical music background, these are the kind of things that you kind of don't even think that is possible. So. Hmm that's why i chose him <laughs> i chose this album <laughs> i still like the music
0: <laughs> yeah I, I enjoyed listening to this record i thought it was great Oh,
1: that's good yeah okay that's good
0: <laughs> um, and you mentioned as well you were listening to it on your walkman i mean the walkman is great for you know if you're having these escapist experiences and getting out of your current context of music the walkman is awesome um for, yeah totally for that kind of you just experience. totally cut off yeah, yeah. Um
1: and they makes you feel cool, yeah exactly
0: <laughs> yeah um and what, what when you think back to listening to this record on your walkman like where are you uh, what are you doing? Are there any particular memories that come to mind
1: oh yeah, because uh, my i think i think this war, this one came out when I was a senior in middle school, and my school was located in, in this fancy area that I had to walk about ten to fifteen minutes to catch a bus. And in order to catch a bus, I also had to walk through um, quite a populated area. So that was always busy and crowded. So I just remember walking, and, you know, there will be lots of people walking by sometimes. Uh, lots of cars, lots of traffic, but then, you know, with the Walkman, playing really loud <laughs> and waiting for your bus. And then also bus is crowded, and you're getting pushed around by lots of people, but, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> you're in a bubble, because, aren't you? yeah so that just felt great and you know lots of times also i just like maybe take a long walk you know maybe walk extra station Mm. so i can just walk and also maybe just sit somewhere and then watch people go by while listening so you know like all this like teenager romantic stuff (laughs) so yeah long time ago long time ago
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's interesting you said it because i mean i struggled i mean maybe it's because this record and and I, i don't know perhaps a predominant amount of his output came out pre-internet but i struggled to find a lot of information on him as an artist um mm-hmm. did he make much music after this like did he get famous what's oh yeah deal?
1: you know what he's doing right now <laughs> what i mean i don't know if you know but there is this a uh, korean tv program called mask singer and i know that they started to do their own version in america and like in the uk last, yeah we've got yeah. it as well yeah, so he is on the panel of that, si- that program in Korea. Yeah, he is popular. I mean, he's not superstar, but he's really well-known. Wow. And I think he's still making music. Yeah, so it's kind of funny to watch these people on TV and knowing that, you know, what I used to feel when I listened to their music. <laughs> I mean, now I don't know. I mean, I really haven't heard his music since his second album. Mm. So I really don't really know what's been happening musically. But, you know, he seems to be active. But also he is more in mainstream. When this one came out, his music was not completely mainstream. He, You know, it was somewhere in between, more on the radio, you know.
0: Yeah. His songs are too long, aren't they, really, to go Like, a lot of them are like five and a half minutes.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, you know, I don't... I, I don't think... He was one of those people with lots of charisma on
0: the stage. <laughs> right.
1: I don't I'm dissing him completely now. But,
0: <laughs> but
1: he's around. <laughs> uh,
0: and do you still, so you mentioned you listened to a lot of pop back then. Do you still, is pop music still a, a part of your life? Do you still listen to pop music?
1: No, it wasn't part of my life for many, many, many years until last year when I got into BTS. All right, I okay. know. Oh wow! I know, right? And then some <laughs> of my f- some of my friends think I'm joking, but I'm not. And I kind of got into certain arguments on my Facebook because some people thought it was all bullshit. But you know, I'm I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Last, last year, I was not that it was my intention to check out BTS, but it was kind of impossible to avoid. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, because
1: of they are everywhere. So. I, I was skeptical, but I thought, okay, maybe I'll just check out one piece, one tune to see what they're all about. Because I was never interested in K-pop, for example, and also all these, you know, crazy dances and all the, all this, all these crazy routines and disciplines to be a K-pop star. So I was really skeptical. But the first one I saw because their videos are on, on YouTube was this one called. With love, I think, mm. but <laughs> what happened was this is really crazy. Just so you know, that one of my absolute favorite movies of all time is Singing in the Rain. Uh huh. I know it's a big surprise, too. <laughs> and Gene <laughs> Kelly was my hero for many many years. So, the, the music video pays homage to um, Singing in the Rain so I mean so when I saw that I was like this is weird I mean the song was the song was fine I mean it was very in you know, a bubblegum like cute sweet lots of pink but then there was this homage to Seeing the Rain and this is also the scene from that's more like a fantasy scene in the middle of Seeing the Rain it's like two thirds into it so I was kind of freaked out because yeah. I I could not I didn't expect then I thought okay I'm gonna check out one more
2: <laughs> Just to see what this is about.
1: the second one was called "Idol, and what happened was you can i mean you know it's really funny when I think about it now I'm speaking it's really ridiculous, but what happened was <laughs> they used Korean traditional music in the best way possible. they used this certain like so Korean traditional like rhythmical singing. Mm. I guess there's a phrase it kind of describes the you know rhythm of it and they use it in their chorus I think of this song and also the dance incorporates Korean traditional dance and the music video brings lots of Korean traditional uh, art in it and it felt really harmonious and I freaked out because that is something I always wanted to try you know I mean there was this one um, project I did in um, a few years ago that I brought in two Korean traditional musicians with uh, improvisers Mm -hmm. and electronics and then that's the kind of attempt that I was always interested in because that is something I mean not that because I studied traditional music but because something that I I always had in me just a little bit of it so I wanted to bring that in to what I do obviously and then find a way to make it my own and to see a K-pop group doing it in their music so well was again shocking (laughs) so that's how I started so I started check out their other music and then you know got into watching lots of videos and on top of that again I'm gonna sound really naive but I mean what can I say I'm a naive person (laughs) but i think i kind of got sick of this um individualism in lots of culture these days mm. in a way so somehow i felt like they were kind of talking about togetherness right you know yeah not necessarily like let's do something together but just like being aware of being aware of being together you know what i mean
0: yeah for sure so
1: yeah so in a way that really appealed to me because that's something i kind of missed a lot not that i'm lacking that in my life per se but i feel like i mean we all belong to a certain kind of community but in a way it's kind of more spread than ever before mm. you know because i mean of course i've been based in New York for a long time and there was this sense of strong sense of community when I moved there, but these days it's kind of spread further and further away because the city became so hard right. to survive in. And also, I started to collaborate with lots of my friends all over the world basically. And even though I stay in touch with them, but you know, it's like it's, this is not something we kind of address that often, you know, mm. being in something together so i think that's why i kind of got into bts and i mean i do like their music genuineness even though some of my friends think they think i'm just being funny i'm being sarcastic but <laughs> i am not i'm really serious so <laughs> wow
0: i mean you've sold me on it and i've not checked out bts before but um
1: i don't know <laughs> my confession time <laughs>
2: and then
0: We should move on to your second record, okay oh If yeah. you uh, give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well.
1: So the second one I picked was Duke Jordan's "Flight to Denmark album. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I heard it in 93, in early 1993. And again, I cannot tell you the date, but I can describe the uh, situation perfectly because one little uh, background note is that... So I think I was like... 17 16, 17 because I was living by living by myself I got into watching lots of movies uh, at home and I started to watch some movies that had a certain soundtrack okay this, there's this movie called The Tequila Sunrise you can look it up it's kind of cheesy movie but you know as a teenager it just felt great it's some, some kind of a new noir-ish film okay and the soundtrack was done by David, Dave Gruzin And the music had lots of saxophone in it. And the movie was set in L.A. And then it had a certain vibe. And since it had lots of saxophone, I was like, oh, that must be jazz.
2: Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was my understanding of what jazz was. So a couple of years later, I think... I was, so in Korea, school ends in February. So I had uh, six months to prepare before going moving to Boston to go to Berkeley. And then I think it was a rainy day actually. And I was about to cross this big street. And there was this record store across this big street was blasting this music through their speakers outside. And it was just a piano trio basically. I mean, I didn't even know what it was, but the sound of it and also the tune, the melody was just so captivating. I just stayed there without crossing the street because I I think I was actually going to the other, the opposite direction, but I stopped and listened for one piece. Then I didn't know what it was again, clearly. So I waited, listened to another piece. So I basically stood there and listened to two pieces and crossed the street and went into a store and bought the CD. And just the sound of the piano I heard was so beautiful. Mm. And I mean, when I l- listen to it now, it's just kind of, it's hard to describe what kind of sound it was, but there was, I mean, maybe because it was also being played outside, mixed in, mixed in with lots of traffic noise. Right. Yeah. And also a little bit of rain. So the whole thing kind of really like stuck in my brain as like some kind of uh, um, oral and also visual postcard in a way. Mm. So and then also I think that was the first time, you know, somebody said, "Oh, that jazz album," <laughs> so, which sounded really different from what I was listening to. You know, what I knew as jazz. So in that sense, it was kind of important because. I really love the sound and also the melody of it. And then also on top of that, the titles, I think those two pieces I heard was Everything Happens to Me and On a Rainy Day. Hmm. So I think those titles are quite poetic in a way and in a way very similar to how I also titled my pieces. Right, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a certain connection to it. So yeah, so in that sense, that really marked me of getting into different... World of music. And it was, yeah, so it was quite a memorable record in that sense.
0: So, again, uh, you bought that record from the record store. What are your experiences or memories of experiences listening to this record after you purchased it?
1: I think I was just listening to it over and over and over. And, and, you know, and I mean, not that I understood, but I mean, I just loved how it sounded, how the piano sounded. I think there was some kind of roughness in it somehow. Mm. You know, it's not crystal clear and there's a little bit of um analog feel to it. Yeah. I think and also that was something very different. I mean, you know, when you're li- when you're a kid listening to Dave Grohl all the time. <laughs> 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 this sounds very different. But I have to say when I actually went to Berkeley to study music, uh-huh thinking that I was going to study jazz, I um <laughs> I mean I really quickly realized that I did not know anything <laughs> because I I didn't know who Miles Davis was.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really embarrassing, but you know, I think I just I was kind of good at just not saying anything you know if somebody brings up some names in my classes i just like write them down and then went to Tower Records two blocks away and then got tons of CDs and listened to them and tried to convince myself to like it because it must be good if somebody mentioned the <laughs> 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 I mean you know that's how kind of like forced myself you know understand and it took some time for me to really understand um jazz or even jazz harmony. Mm. So in a way I had to really train my ears. But then also I had to find a real connection to the music. Because otherwise it, it also becomes also shallow and superficial. Mm. So
0: that's so that's yeah. so interesting hearing you talk about writing those <laughs> records down and then going out and buying them because you know, I, I relate to those experiences of really wanting to like something and, and just not having my core agree with me that this is music that I want to hear. So I'd, I'd love to know, like, give me the names of two records, like one that you bought and were like, oh, cri- this is not for me. I really want to like it, but it's not for me. And one that really clicked um, from those days in college.
1: Well, I mean, it's not only a record, but actually I have uh, this story that I, I, I've told enough people. So I think it was my second year at Berkeley. You know, they had lots of concerts at the school because they had this big um, auditorium and they sometimes invite well-known artists and one happened to be on a common wow so it was my second year and you know lots of people are buying tickets and I think it was getting sold out so I thought okay I should go and check it out because you know Uh, so I bought a ticket went there by myself it was packed sold out and I think I was the only one who did not stand up at the end because I just not Understand or appreciate the music. I really didn't understand why people are making such a big fuss. (laughs) (laughs) That was 1994 or 95, but yeah. So like looking at it, (laughs) and oh yeah, and then also like you know when people said Miles Davis, Mm. I guess you know everybody said oh yeah, Birth of Cool. You have to listen to it. That's the you know like one of the biggest, most important records. So I went and listened to it, (laughs) and my first first. I think we even had to transcribe the solo, you know, the famous one. Oh, wow. And then I was doing it and all I could think was like, he doesn't even play in tune, you know. (laughs) 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 So yeah, Miles Davis and I, we didn't click for a while, but then later I got into it. And uh, I guess Duke Ellington was somebody that I was kind of taken by from the beginning because, you know, big band also Mm. had certain, certain amount of romanticism involved. Right And also, you know, and then also how the orchestration and the harmony and the sound quality. So yeah, I think. And Monk and Mingus. Mm. So more of that. But again, I never got into jazz like some of my friends do, that you can memorize all these titles and, you know, who played on which record and, but yeah.
0: Yeah, no, same. <laughs> I lose track too quickly. Um, you You mentioned actually your email to me that you have a complicated relationship with the term jazz could you tell me a bit more about that
1: yeah because i mean i mean it's because of also you know certain amount of respect for you know jazz or people who play jazz because jazz is just like any tradition that you do have to spend lots of time into it Mm. running the artistry and then work hard and i don't really play Jazz. I mean, I happen to work with lots of people coming from that background and still play jazz. Yeah. But also, in a way, I don't feel like I'm really firmly rooted in that tradition. I mean, of course, I'm aware of certain things. And especially the harmony, I'm kind of really drawn to certain sounds of it. But I don't necessarily feel like I have enough of that in me to qualify my, myself as a jazz musician and same thing with uh, free jazz because I play with lots of musicians in that tradition but I did not really spend enough time really understanding the music so you know so if I call myself jazz or free jazz I mean I feel like that's such a shallow way of describing what I do you know
0: yeah sure
1: and also yeah, I think also jazz became so such a wide term Nobody
0: really knows what that means anymore. No. Uh if maybe it's the problem where you get people who are definitely rooted in their history in jazz, say like Coleman and Coltrane,
1: mm-hmm. branching
0: so far outward to the mm-hmm. point where they were even barely playing jazz by, you know, the latter right. stages of Coltrane and suddenly anyone who's playing with that breadth and freedom is lumped in, right? Because the original players had their origins in playing jazz music it's difficult Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and then also in terms of i mean i think you know music there's certain lineage also i mean even in improvisation i think it's you know there's certain lineage i mean i guess one of the main problems i encounter with uh, lots of younger people especially you know going to conservatory is that they do not appreciate... Yeah, improvisation also has certain lineage to it. Mm. So improvisation is not just a getting up and play your instrument. Right. Just the way you want to play. But, you know, there is certain understanding. There was a history and then also what, you know, each people wanted to achieve. And also it was used as, a, you know, again, like a com- like total set of tools to create music. Other than just expressing yourself i mean i don't know if it gets it gets uh, into a long conversation and i know some people will think that i'm just bullshitting but it's okay (laughs) not a big deal but (laughs) 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 but yeah but so, so yeah so i do have that you know because because of that reason i do not consider me as a jazz musician because i just don't have enough of it in me yeah so
0: do you still listen to jazz
1: Sometimes I mean, lots of times these days, you know, I go to my friends' concerts.
2: Right, of course. <laughs> and yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. And then, of course, you know, somebody like Sonny Rollins,
2: mm.
1: I listen to it, and still like I. Oh, I have one experience that um, I was playing my friends' uh, ensemble in a jazz festival in Holland, and because we are playing in the festival, we are able to stay on the side of the stage and watch. Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock play a duo yeah and I was kind of I don't know what I was expecting I mean I wasn't skeptical necessarily but I was not necessarily expecting to have my mind blown (laughs) you know (laughs) but I mean also you know like Wayne Shorter was already I I don't think he is like I mean he got older so in a way his facility is not like 20 years ago for example of course yeah And then also, you know, Herbie, I mean, it was really weird because two of them on the stage, Herbie is just playing between these keyboards and the piano with, you know, like watches on his each wrists. You know, he's famous for that, like really like lots of blings on his fingers. Yeah. But it was so sincere. Like, you know, they are, like, really trying to figure out what's happening in the moment, even though they're playing certain tunes that they both know really well. Yeah. But there was a sense of them coming together really in that moment. And one thing about Herbie Hancock was that, you know, there there was this keyboard, and he would find one sound, for example, and he was not happy with the sound. And he'll just change the sound completely. In a way, in the middle of it, he'll just stop and then try to find the sound that he was looking for, you know, even though there were like a few thousand people sitting in front of them. But it was not about the audience, but it was really finding the right sound he could play with. So it was really touching and moving. So that's the kind of music, you know, so it's not when it comes down to that, it's, you know, doesn't matter what kind of music they play.
2: Exactly. But
1: really like two people coming together. In such an honest way, and then also you could tell so much respect for each other. That was really amazing to watch. Oh,
0: that sounds unreal! Like, I, mean, yeah. I love yeah. It's probably like my favorite Miles Davis records are those ones with Herbie and Wayne on them as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm.
0: hear that they they come to it with such humbleness, as to not feel like they've sussed everything out and accomplished it after you know after yeah. that that amount of time is amazing.
1: That, that was really mind-blowing. And that, you know, those are one of those moments that, you know, I kind of think about quite a bit, you know.
0: So let's go to your final record now, Hokyung, oh If you uh, give me the name of it and a bit about why this one's important as well.
1: Yeah. So the last, the last one I picked was um, cello record by Peter Wispelby, I think that's how you say his name. He's a Dutch cellist. And as I said, I didn't want to really play the cello <laughs> anymore. So you know, so but I went to music and art high school, middle school and high school. And what happened was, I mean not to blame my mom, but she wanted me She wanted me to apply for the National University, which has probably the, has the most stiff competition as a cello major, and I didn't get in. And I was so happy. I was so relieved <laughs> because it really created me enough reason to give up hmm. because I really could not stand playing the cello anymore. And that's how I asked my mom and I, you know, that to have me go to Boston, to go to Berkeley and, you know, study different kinds of music. But when I got accepted, they said I still had to play an instrument for the first two years. So the only thing I knew how to play was a cello, so I just brought it with me. But what happened was, the cello teacher I had at Berkeley, she was really nice, but also exactly the opposite of the cello teacher I had, when the Korean cello teacher basically did not, like, any single note I've ever played. And yeah, he'd been really harsh on me. Pretty, you know, in each lesson for five years, I studied with him. But when I went to Boston, I mean, also I didn't play the cello for eight months. So, you know, I didn't really practice. But the cello teacher at Berkeley, she was so nice and she was so encouraging. Mm. So in a way, I started to feel like this is kind of, Weird, because I wasn't really playing that well, but she didn't seem to be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because I had certain level of basic um, skills, you know. So, mm. so I felt a little bit better about playing the cello, and I was also playing in lots of friends' projects because there were not many cello players back then. So I kind of started my way back to, you know, playing more cello and then being okay with the instrument because also, you know, I didn't, I knew that I wasn't going to be a performance major. Then she suggested, you know, she was just asking, you know, which piece to play next. So again, I went to Tower Records and I was browsing through and I just saw this CD with a cover of him and Ligeti and I think other Composed, I didn't really know about, so I just picked it up and listened to it, and I think it's really um, one of the, those moments that I heard the cello again mm. and realized how beautiful the instrument was. Really, mm. I mean, it sounds really weird because I, you know, I had been playing the cello for so many years, but there weren't that many times I really was taken by the sound of it. And in this recording of Ligeti's solo sonata for cell... No, Ligeti's cello sonata for... No, Ligeti's <laughs> ch- solo cello, sorry. It's just the sound of it. I mean, it's very, like, also written in a way in... Um, counterpart, and then also very grand-sounding lines and gestures. And it has certain amount of airiness... Mm. And also, heaviness to it, I just was just taken by the sound of it, and then also wanted me t- wanted to kind of recreate that kind of sound from my instrument, which was probably the first time in a long time. might have been even the first time I wanted to do it since I even picked up the cello, so in that sense, that was very important to give me some kind of desire to go back to my instrument and find a way to play it the way I heard it you know how he played his cello
2: Hmm.
1: so yeah
0: so you you mentioned the fact that you were really drawn towards this sound um had that ever happened before in your time of playing cello had you ever prior to that point been allured by a particular sound or was it more the fact that you were playing because you always had played the cello
1: I think before that, it was maybe the melodies or maybe certain lines, you know, certain actual musical ideas Mm. that I was maybe more responding to. But this was probably the first time I really heard the sound. And I think actually because I heard this record and recognized that when I heard um, Bach's Cello Suite by Pablo Casals, Uh I mean, which is, you know, The masterpiece. But until then, I don't think I uh, appreciated that album because I, again, was not paying attention to the sound, but I was, you know, paying attention to the virtuosity, you know, or how the execution of the performance. But after listening to this by played by Peter Wispoli, I heard the Kazar's box cello suite. Then I heard it totally differently. So, in a way, that was also another, you know, awakening of. Responding to sounds and also, it sounds weird. But also, it was enough to have the sound. Didn't matter, you know, if this was played perfect perfectly. Yeah. But you know, to be able to project that kind of sound, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, so that's why it was an important moment.
0: Did it impact the way that you approached playing the cello immediately? Or how did you go about taking this new notion that you wanted to strive for a sound and then translating that into a a method of playing the cello if you did?
1: Well, I mean, it didn't happen right away because I think at first I was trying to maybe recreate the same kind of sound on my cello. Right. Because that was the only way I knew how to do it. And eventually I was I wasn't necessarily I wasn't improvising I was not improvising because back in the days at Berkeley improvisation meant only improvising over chord changes right as in more traditional jazz sense of you know traditional jazz and then I think maybe a year later hearing this record I was just practicing maybe just you know fling around with my cello in my practice room doing some stuff and then I began to make up some melodies and play and I think that's how I began improvising without realizing that's that's improvising <laughs> you know Yeah. S- S- then again uh, because this is how I was trained because I was classically trained I had to get some kind of validation this was something this was good enough mm. or this was even real music you know what I mean
0: yeah absolutely yeah
1: yeah just because I like to play because I liked how it sounded or how it felt didn't feel like there was enough qualification to call it as real music
0: right yeah <laughs> absolutely. yeah
1: so you know so it took some time for me to just like play by myself and didn't play to anybody and I think Okay, this is another story. I have so many stories. (laughs) One, you know, I was living very close to Berkeley and so many other uh, international students at Berkeley. And one day, this guy, I think he was Danish drummer, friend of mine I had. He had a birthday across the street from me. And I think I got a little drunk. And it was packed with different people. And I think I said to him, I didn't bring any birthday present, but I can play a song for you. <laughs> I don't know why I said it, but I think I was wasted. So I went across the street, went to my home, got my cello, and went to his place thinking, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Sorry, can I curse here. Um, then, you know, I was too... I couldn't back up because, you know, I had certain pride. So I decided, okay... <laughs> I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm wasted anyway. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. And so, yeah, I played a little thing. I guess I improvised <laughs> and was expecting people to really, you know, not care for it. And people seem to be okay with it. So <laughs> that was the first time I played this kind of uh, music to other people. And that kind of gave me a little bit of a, uh, confidence thinking, oh, maybe this is not, too terrible (laughs) (laughs) Wow. yeah so little by little and then so that's how I got into improvisation and in terms of like looking for different sounds I think that started at NEC because I was encouraged to really find different ways to approach the instrument you know and then you know I was allowed to do to go anywhere really so in that sense I think I was was beginning to pay more, more attention to sounds and yeah so it's you know all gradual little by little and then also playing with different people in new york and other places and understand music through sounds and yeah so it took some time to get here
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i you know i think it's amazing that your one of your big breakthrough experiences of playing improvised music was being wasted at someone's birthday party and doing an impromptu song that's incredible
1: um, yeah, I mean, I think lots of classical musicians, you know, I, it, it is hard to break away from that kind of tradition, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And many people have asked me, you know, how I made that break, and yeah, it, it was as stupid as that. <laughs> but also to understand, it's not a big deal, you know. It's just playing the cello,
0: right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Would you think that, does that become
0: difficult for people? Do you think who have a classical Tradition, I think you alluded to it there, but the fact that there needs to be some sense of theoretical legitimacy to what you're doing, and is that maybe harder to pin down if you're doing improvised music and just playing the cello? Maybe that does that do you, do you think that's the inhibiting factor there?
1: Yeah, but also the thing is, I guess there are two reasons for that. That it is true that you know you're always 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 kind of expected to fit into certain. Expectation, yeah. You know, what it should sound like or, you know, how you're supposed to play, how, you know, how you're supposed to interpret certain things or, you know, what music supposed to mean, you know, like it can be as deep as like, is music about emotion, you know, you know, it, it can be that kind of way of approaching music. Mm. But then also, I mean, one thing about the improvisation that is mo- most attractive and also the most elusive is that because improvisation is all about you making the choices and you making the decisions and then you kind of figure out how to do, where to go next. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're constantly required to pay attention to what's going on and you decide. Yes. Well, you find a way to connect with the music or you find a way to connect with other people you're playing with. But, you know, it's constantly on you. Mm. So I think it can be overwhelming because also again it kind of goes back to what i said earlier it's like it takes time you know it takes lots of experience for you to come up with certain not rules but you know certain things that what is that you want to do when you're improvising what matters to you most you know what's the most musical um most important musical decision making and you know gestures and that kind of stuff and it has yeah so it it puts quite a lot on you yeah. as an individual so uh, uh, i don't
0: know i feel like i'm babbling <laughs> <laughs> no i mean this 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 makes absolute sense to me uh and also i think okay, speaks good. to the pressure that i felt as well whenever i've been in an improvised context i think you do i you know i certainly i feel that that weight of of expectation mm-hmm. of holding all the agency in my hands mm-hmm. um yeah i mean with that in mind what is it that you do if you do have anything in order to prime your mental state before you go into an improvisation i mean do you have any uh rituals or any kind of behaviors or or anything that you do in order to kind of optimize your ability to operate in that improvised context
1: well well these days i don't drink (laughs) 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 no that was just joke um (laughs) Well, I think lots of times I really try not to have any expectation, you know, especially when you're playing with somebody you played with before, you know, Mm -hmm. and really try to find the way to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. It sounds really corny, but it is really true, you know. Sometimes um, you're kind of relying on your memory of what had happened before, you know. Mm. So, you know, like, it's not easy to get away from it. I mean, of course, you know, you can use that as a base, kind of, you know, having some kind of understanding of the other person you're playing with. But also, you know, willing to take chances to go to different directions or, um, I don't know. I mean, lots of times it's really like finding, to me, one of the most important thing is like finding some kind of pulse in the music. Hmm not necessarily tempo or rhythm, but it's kind of, you know, what is the purse that you are feeling together?
2: Mm.
1: To me, I think that's quite essential to be able to sense that. And, you know, this purse is always flowing, always changing, you know. It's something that's alive and it's something that you could follow and something you can shape, you know. And also paying attention to not only what the other person is doing, but also what you are doing, you know because sometimes you because you know like playing any instrument and playing any kind of music is up, it also depends on lots of muscle memory mm-hmm. so there are certain things that you kind of go back to quite often because somehow it feels more comfortable or something, and then so whenever I make those kind of choices, I kind of try to reevaluate whether it was the right thing to do, you know, what it whether it made sense and that's why I did it or well, because something that just happened to me. Right. came to me naturally. Yeah. So it's like the constantly trying to decide, you know. So I guess those are the things I, you know, try to keep in mind while I'm playing. And in terms of ritual I try to warm up better. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean yeah, I don't really have any rituals. Um most of times you know I don't talk we don't talk about what to play um, maybe sometimes we'll talk about how long we're going to play mm. and uh, also I kind of talk about this whenever I do workshop but also understanding I mean even though the improvisation is like kind of a democratic way of making music you know Yes. Um, there's like, there isn't a soloist playing on top of rhythm section for example but it could happen, right? But I also talk about, like, being able to be in different layers, you know? Sometimes you can be in the foreground, you can be in the middle ground, you can be in the background, but you can find the different roles in the moment as long as it really um, serves the music that's happening, you know? Yeah. And not just... And just because you you don't have to be playing... The most obvious thing, you can be playing something very subtle in the back, or but that you that can also affect where the music is going.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, that the the association I think it has with being a democratic music, because I think democracy almost implies that there's a structure that ensures that voices are equally pitched, equally placed within the music. As you say, right, a great yeah. greater volume doesn't equal. Um, Having a greater impact or anything, but there's still there still needs to be some kind of implicit trust between the musicians that the space is going to be shared right i mean that that's not a given by the format of improvisation so that that I've always find is a really interesting aspect of being a listener to improvised music is that there's no guarantee of that democratic space it does have to be forged and maintained
1: yeah. <laughs> But then also, you know, there are ways, lots of different ways of, you know, having that democratic way of making music. So, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I mean, again, it's only my you know, personal approach to this music. But, mm. you know, I, I guess sometimes, you know, like, I just want to be, you know, maybe like playing something that's really like quiet in the background. But just adding just a texture, I don't need to be heard. Yeah. But as as long as I can kind of combine, you know, focus on certain sounds, that's something that I want to focus on. And, you know, so like, I think this like kind of also freedom sounds corny, but, you know, that you can go anywhere, you know, you can kind of really change the direction you can change, you know, you can step out, you can step in you can um decide to go against it go against the flow and and sometimes yeah i don't know it's it's it can be really fun but you can it is definitely very mentally draining right yeah (laughs) but it is definitely like one one of the main reasons why i still am very um drawn and passionate about doing improvised music and yeah (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, that, that feels like a, a wicked place to wrap things up, okay Thank yeah. you so much for coming on this podcast and talking about both your records, uh, but everything else that branched off as well. Besides, <laughs> this has been wicked. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry.
1: I feel like I've, I've been babbling, but you know, this is how I, this is what I'm like. Hey, so. <laughs> and
0: this is what this podcast is for. You know, I made this Good. show for the babbles. So, thank you for bringing your A game. Um, so, uh, if people want to check out your music. Online, is there a best place for them to go in order to do that?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think that's how I usually, how people usually access the music these days. I mean, including myself. And uh, I mean, also, I'm not so sure if Shelter Press is shipping out the records yet because I think it's kind of difficult at the moment. Of course, yeah. Yeah, but un- so unfortunately, you know, many people will have to be satisfied with downloads. But hopefully, I can get the record too. Yes, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well excellent thank you once again and to everyone listening I'll see you next time goodbye thank you
2: bye